I'm Ben Solak, and I host the Ringer NFL Draft Show with Danny Kelly, Danny Heifetz, and Craig Horbeck. Join us twice a week as we talk everything NFL Draft and break down all the players who will make your team better. Except the Rams, because they don't really have any picks. Check us out on the Ringer NFL Draft Show on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. On today's episode of One Shining Podcast, we have a good one. We have a good friend of ours. His name is Brian Curtis, and he's going to break down one of the best friends we've had in college basketball media over the past 32 seasons, calling 32 Final Fours himself. Of course, we're talking about the great Jim Nance, and uh, Brian Curtis is going to come on. We're going to talk about his last call, uh, the implications you know, for college basketball, You know, what One Shining Moment looked like, what it's like to be a company man, you know, in the media space today versus when Jim Nance was on the call back in 1986 for the first time and uh, even talk about, you know, the future of broadcasting in general. Uh, Brian Curtis, one of the best. Um, he is a fellow Mac Brown believer. So the two of us uh, got to talk about that as well. So I'm excited about that conversation that's coming up. But first, before we get to that, um, look, the college basketball season is over. In case you missed it, um, the 2022-23 season um, just ended with the UConn Huskies winning their fifth title since 1999. Of course, we broke it down throughout the entire month of March. But, you know, before we get to Brian Curtis and wax poetic about Jim Nance, I'm going to wax poetic about this season. I'm going to give you my top 30 takeaways from the 2022-23 season. I'm going to run through it with Kyle. Uh, I'll see how much I, I, I can get him to, to listen and lean in. He might fall asleep while I'm doing it. But I'm just going to tell you what happened in case you missed it. Um, that'll be fun. So again, 30 takeaways from the 2022-23 season. We're going to get ready and get primed for transfer portal season, which is uh, a whole bag of worms that uh, I am not even sure I'm prepared to talk about. But it's, uh, it's tampering season. It's happening. It's right in front of us. So we're going to talk about all that. Um, Kyle, anything else before you get into this episode? Nah, man, I love Brian Curtis so much. I never miss an episode <laughs> of uh, Press Box. And right. I really just uh, I really just wanted to get these 30 takeaways so I could ramp 40 minutes of uh, media analysis down everybody's throats. So, uh, you know, eat your vegetables, guys. It's the best. It's the best. But first, Woody Durham. He takes the timeout. Technical foul. The timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul. Technical 
All right, it is Thursday, April 6th. I am uh, at my house in Los Angeles, California. The season is officially over, Kyle. We made it. We made it through the gauntlet of March. Uh, We started on March 1st, and uh, now it's April 6th. We we did it. We we got a national champion. We covered a tournament together. You were back on the saddle for for the first time in quite some time. How are you feeling? Do do you feel like relief? Do you feel success? Uh, Like, what's going on in your mind? I felt the I felt the same way I did that night. It was just like, you know, the first two weekends, I was like, what the fuck did I sign up for? But then I was right. like, hey, remember, it's not like this all the time. This is just a, you know, it's just a the gulag or whatever, the gauntlet, whatever G word I'm supposed to use there. <laughs> and then and then as it slowed down and it was like, you know, we got to the end of the uh, the Elite Eight. And I was like, oh, man, this is, uh, you know, I miss all the craziness. People are talking shit about the matchups and all this stuff. And then by the time I got to the final four, I was like, man, it's going to go away. And then uh, at the end of that, at the end of the last game, it was just dragging. So I was like, right, let's just yeah. put a nail in this coffin. Move on. Yeah, but, it was uh, very So whiplash. yeah, I feel all right. I feel all right. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited for next year, you know, knowing all the stuff. You know, I slacked on Kyle's guys. I didn't do enough research, shocker. So uh, I'm excited to like, you know, go into next year with like, you know, we started the pot on March 1st. Just insane. Insane behavior. So yeah. <laughs> like, I'm excited to have a full thing, like transfer portals all the way up to the, uh, the tournament. So. Yeah, every single interview I've done at the Ringer so far, the person that I'm talking to has started with, I don't watch much college basketball, so it's not your fault. You know what I mean? Like yesterday I had Waz. That was the first thing he said when I was on the air with him on the TV show. Kevin O'Connor, first thing he said to me when we did the Bill interview for the first time. Bill, first thing he said to me on the air, he's like, we got tape for college basketball. Now, I don't care about college basketball. I'm like, okay. So it's not your fault not to, you know, you weren't supposed to be kept up on what was going on. And that's my job. My job is to help keep people in the know about what's happening in college basketball. To me, it's the best sport. It is. It just, it, there's nothing better than that magical moment when you win the national championship, all your dreams come true. The confetti comes down. Jim Nance gives you his tie, or maybe doesn't this year. We're going to talk to Brian Curtis about that. But, um, you know, I, I want to get everybody up to speed because that's the least I can do. Again, I parachuted in in March. Um, and then we just threw a lot of information at you. Shout out to Kyle Mann for being a part of the journey really? and throwing out a lot of information as well. So, uh, and it was nice to have someone to talk to. Um, I know when we first started, I went back to the Carolina Duke game and uh, Bill's like, just do a show by yourself after the game. <laughs> I think that was the first time it hit me that it was going to be a little well, bit different this time good. around. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It was a little bit different. But look, we're finding our footing. Uh, we're, we're having fun. And uh, all right, so let's get into the top 30 takeaways from this year in case you missed it. This is what happened in college basketball. Before we get to the the actual 30 itself, the big theme of college basketball, in case you missed it, right? Back in 2019, the last time we were here, we were talking about the FBI. We were talking about bags, I right? Those days. It, yeah, right. It was illegal to pay college basketball players. Um, I famously went on ESPN and paid college basketball players for the first time in history um, at the 3x3U tournament. Shout out to those guys at Intersport. That was a great time. But now it's illegal or now it's legal. It was once illegal. And now you can, you know, have NIL collectives, which is name, image and likeness. You can get kids based on, you know, their, you know, their, their value in the marketplace, all this. But the big theme in college basketball now is the transfer portal. It's all about the transfer portal. 
We got two thousand plus players currently in the <laughs> AKA transfer free portal. agency. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Transfer? Okay. Well, basically, college basketball wants to be the NBA, and the NBA wants to be college basketball. And and, <laughs> and here's a perfect example of this: the NBA says we're going to create an in-season tournament that's single elimination. Everyone in the NBA media says why, and they're like, "Well, March Madness," and they're like, "Okay, why <laughs> again? What the what the world?" Uh, and then same thing: college basketball says, "You know what? You know we got." one-time transfers do we have a transfer portal you put your name in you can go anywhere da 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 and everyone's like this is you know similar to nba free agency right unrestricted free agency and they're like yes that's exactly what we want um even though the nba has struggled with that they've lost some name recognition or you know the team continuity is an issue all right so that's all happening in college basketball roster construction is not one and dones anymore it happens in the transfer portal and now you have to worry about tampering which is it used to be an nba term now it's a college basketball term to the max coaches are tampering players are tampering Uncles are tampering. Aunts are tampering. Your cousin Ronnie's tamper. Everyone's tampering. That's not recruiting. And not to be confused with recruiting? Or can it be confused with recruiting? Yeah, recruiting is actually another subsect of of the tampering. The tampering leads to the recruiting. Um, (laughs) You could literally be on a team. For example, right? uh, A guy who I think should be considered for Rookie of the Year. I know Paolo Bancaro is going to win Rookie of the Year. I know he was just on Rosillo's podcast. But Walker Kessler, right? Perfect example of tampering in the transfer portal era. He's at North Carolina. He's sitting on the bench. He is telling everyone, I want to be shooting threes and actually playing. Uh, I guess the North Carolina staff is saying to him, do not shoot threes and you will not play. You will watch Garrison Brooks play in front of you, even though you're an NBA talent. Him and Daron Sharp are sitting over there together. And then Bruce Pearl's like, this is tamper season. I I want this kid to come to Auburn. All of a sudden, we get to the offseason. Roy Williams retires. Tamper, tamper, tamper. (laughs) Here we go. Walker Kessler is now an Auburn Tiger. And now he's, you know, one of the best young players in the NBA. So shout out to Walker Kessler. But that's the world that we're living in. And that's just a small example of what's happening in college basketball. And it's happening everywhere. And even guys like a Caleb Love, who hit one of the biggest shots on Coach K, is now in the transfer portal and is going to go play for a different team than North Carolina. Something that was seemingly insane now is uh, just a reality. Someone like Kerr Creasa, who was at Arizona, who was like Tommy Lloyd's, you know, coaches award was seemingly like it was a, a guy that wore Kerr because of Steve Kerr is now going to West Virginia, right? It's the wild, wild West. And that is the big theme that I want to say that is happening in college basketball. It's all about the transfer portal. Every single way too early list you're about to see over the next month is dumb because <laughs> the transfer portal exists and teams are still being built. Deals are still being made. Uh, tampering is still happening. Um, guys that are promising that they're going to come back to the team, maybe they get an offer from another team and now they're considering it. Now they're going to enter, enter the transfer portal. It's just insanity. So if you haven't kept up with college basketball, just know players can move. They can only transfer once, though. Uh, I think that's being that lost true? a little bit. Yeah, is that only, still true? Only, it's a one-time transfer, but if you transfer twice, you can get a waiver, Kyle. And it seems like there's going to be 1,500 waiver, yeah, waivers like, filed this year. I thought they were year. just handing out the waivers. It's like they're like hall passes. Like, yeah, you just got to ask to go to the bathroom, but don't just leave and go to the bathroom from class, right? I think there's so many people in the hallway now that they're they're worried about the bathrooms. I think they're worried about the bathrooms we're holding about the up. Plumbing now. Yeah, the plumbing is not going to work. Uh, it's not looking good. Um, who took a dookie in the urinal? We'll never know. Um, I think it was Bruce Pearl. But uh, here he goes. 
Let's get into the top 30 takeaways. Uh, number one or number 30 on the top 30 takeaways. We're going to we're going to work it down uh, and start with the least important. But this is still important in our world because she is, you know, we have friends of the program on the show. We also have foes of the program and we don't have many foes of the program. Right. Because, look, I'm an ELE guy. I'm an everybody love everybody guy. And even if I don't love you, I still like you. I at least try to like you. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. But there's one person in college basketball media. I'll never give the benefit of the doubt ever, no matter what, no matter what she does. Not even if there's a fire and her name is Sister Jean. And guess what, Kyle? She wrote a freaking book. Um, and it's called Wake Up With Purpose, What I've Learned in My First Hundred Years, um, a.k.a. Humble Brag of the Century, that she has already lived over 100 years. Um, some people would say this is a shot at Betty White. I'm not sure about that, but I, I don't like it either way. Um, but I don't know why she decided to write a book. Uh, Loyola Chicago was not in the NCAA tournament this year, but yet Sister Jean still made herself the star as she traditionally does. And that's why she's always been a problem with me because I want to know about Clayton Custer. You know, I want to know about Cameron Cartwick. You know, I want to know about the actual players on the team, not about Sister Jean. Um, but in case you missed it, number 30 on the list, Sister Jean wrote a book, Wake Up With Purpose. What is her purpose other than to take away attention from the good players that are at her university? But that's beside the point. 165 four-star, five-star reviews on uh, Amazon. What's the what's the rating? Uh, it's 4.8 stars. Put one. Put a one for me. <laughs> okay. No, I'm kidding. Put a five. Look, we're not, we're not going to hate on the ratings. We're going to give her five stars. But Sister Jean, we're watching you. We got your, we got our eye on you. She's 103 years old, and she's not done yet. And 28, the, 99 hardcover. That's it. That's right. That's expensive. <laughs> that's a that's pretty expensive. penny. Yeah, it's a pretty penny. Like she's cashing in, and uh, if anything, she should use that book money to give to players for in, maybe form an NIL collective, Sister Jean's initiative. Get some five star recruits there to help Coach Valentine. I don't know. Maybe make that happen, Sister Jean. If you actually care. Yeah, right. If you actually care about your your team. All right. That's besides the point. Number 30, Sister Jean. She wrote a book. Number 29, uh, Tommy Lloyd, head coach of Arizona. In case you missed it, he made regular season history with the most wins all time in his first two years as a head coach. Um, he came from Gonzaga. He was there with Mark Few for the entire run. He kind of is Mr. International, um, not Pitbull, but he is the college basketball version of it. He knows how to find talent, gems, diamonds in the rough. But yet again, um, even though they had so much talent, they lose in the first round. I famously picked Arizona to go and win the national championship. I watched them win the Maui Invitational. But Tommy Lloyd loses in the first round to Princeton. Um, but the, the the real fallout from this is that Kirk Creesa, who was the Achilles heel, in my opinion, of this team, he is transferring. He is going to West Virginia, as I brought up before. So maybe, you know, the, the headline is that Tommy Lloyd makes history in his first two years at Arizona. But we still have question marks about what can happen in the NCAA tournament. Can they finally get back to that Lute Olsen era run? So Tommy Lloyd, we have your attention. And also Ryan Nimhard. Um, is in the transfer portal, Creighton's point guard. And Kyle, what was the word? Tampering? Maui Invitational. Creighton was there. Arizona was there. Arizona needs a point guard. All of a sudden, Nimhard's in the transfer portal. His brother got recruited by Tommy Lloyd at Gonzaga. 
I don't know. I'm connecting the dots, and it looks like Tommy Lloyd's tampering. Oh, and, dude, uh, that's so good. I was so worried that we weren't going to get this seedy, shady shit. Oh, uh, it's going to be. It, it might even be more shady. It might be even more seedy uh, in college basketball right now. So it sounds like Arizona could have a point guard of the future in Nimhard. Tommy Lloyd, I think if he gets Nimhard, he gets a point guard. Without Kreisa, I have faith in the Wildcats moving forward. But they're a team to circle. They're a national title type contender. Arizona, number 29. Number 28, Mr. K. Um, people forget coach K, uh, the artist formerly known as coach K went to the final four last year, lost to his rival, long-term rival, um, on the biggest stage in basketball. Um, and then he promised after he lost, or I guess during the season, he promised to not be like Roy Williams. He said, I will not go to basketball games. I will not support this university. I will not be there for them. I will not be a resource, even though I will keep my office. Um, I will do that. My office will still be there. Um, but he broke his promise, Kyle. Uh, number 28 headline. He broke his promise. He attended a Duke game this season. He was back in Cameron Indoor. Um, and he was there to see Mike Bray's last game in Cameron Indoor. Former assistant coach of his. Obviously, the Notre Dame great. Spent 23 years in Notre Dame. Um, but Mr. K, can we trust this man? He Yet again, he proves he's a hypocrite. Um, says he would never go back into Cameron Indoor. Doesn't want to be there. Six months later, there he is. So I, I don't know what to read into it other than it's a headline. Mr. K broke yet another promise. He was back in Cameron Indoor. Um, that's, that's number 28. Number 27, and this is for Brian Curtis, who we're going to talk to in a little bit. Moody Magic is real. Uh, Matthew McConaughey went to Texas. He went to the powers that be and said, I need a gym that's going to make things work here. I need something that's going to get the crowd going, going to help us get a real home court advantage. They got a smaller gym. They used inspiration from Cameron Indoor and, and gyms of the like, you know, the historical gyms, Assembly Hall. And they created a, a smaller venue, um, but it also has a lot of magic packed into it. And I say that because... They could have had a, a really rough season. Their head coach, Chris Beard, um, you know, had a, a trial by fire with his actions. He gets fired um, by Texas. Rodney Terry steps in as the interim head coach. They go 29-9 and the rest of the year. They were right on the cusp of making a Final Four. Um, that home court advantage, the run that they had this year in the Big 12 and the best conference in basketball this year, it just proved that Moody Magic is real and it could withstand some some devious, horrible behavior from their former head coach. So number 27, Moody Magic. Number 26, Kenny Payne. Simple as that and uh, not spelled the right way, spelled with, as you'd expect, P-A-I-N. Um, it is Kenny Payne in Louisville. Um, as we remember, Kenny Payne was hired because he was this guru. He's a recruiting guru. He's a former player. He's going to bring the mojo back. He hired DJ Wagner's grandpa, Milt Wagner, to come back. That was the tip of the cap that DJ Wagner, the number one player in the 2023 class, was going to go to Louisville. He was going to be there with his grandpa, and it's gone um, because his dad <laughs> got signed by Kentucky, DJ Wagner, or I'm sorry, Dewan Wagner. And Dewan Wagner, his dad convinced him to go to Kentucky, the rival of Louisville. So Kenny Payne misses out on DJ Wagner. He also has one of the worst teams in uh, Louisville history. And I mean, to be quite honest, college basketball history. Um, they didn't get their first win until mid-December, and that was against Western Kentucky. Uh, shout out to Rick Stansberry, former bad guy of the year. Um, no longer the coach of Western Kentucky, I'm guessing because he lost to Louisville, but he's out. Um, and Kenny Payne wins four games in his first year. It's transfer galore right now in Louisville. 
I don't know what the path is moving forward. And the, the other, you know, the other side of the coin here, if you're a Louisville fan, unfortunately, is that Rick Pitino is back and hotter than ever. And you got rid of Rick Pitino for no reason, really, other than the pressure of the public and, you know, the, the, the presidents and the board of trustees at that time. So Kenny Payne. Number 25, the AP poll is fraudulent, folks. It, it is, it has been, and I say this with a heavy heart because it was proven this year based on the fact that the preseason number one team was my North Carolina Tar Heels, and they almost lost their first game to College of Charleston. You know, look, College of Charleston turned out to be a pretty good team, but uh, the AP poll just gets it wrong. North Carolina is out uh, of the AP poll by December 5th. They lose to Virginia Tech on the road without Armando Baycott. They lose to Iowa State. They lose to Alabama. Um, the poll itself was just a, a rotating, uh, you know, cycle of teams that this team's number one. Then they fall out. It was just, it, it was chaos. It was never correct. It had a, a lot of fraudulent issues. And also Connecticut, who ended up dominating the NCAA tournament, um, they weren't ranked in the preseason. And they said that not being ranked in the preseason is why they had such a chip on their shoulder. So the AP poll is the most fraudulent poll out there. It let us down again. It was completely wrong. My Tar Heels had to shoulder a lot of that blame. They were frauds as well. Um, but there you go. Number 24 on our list, Maryland basketball matters again. Um, shout out to Scott Van Pelt uh, and shout out to all the people in the DMV that are trying to get Maryland and the Terps back. Uh, they earned their first top five win since 2016 when they beat number three Purdue this year. Um, that was a fun game, fun atmosphere. They're bringing in, you know, assistant coaches from DeMatha. They're trying to make the Maryland magic happen again. Maryland's a program we need to be good in college basketball. Shout out to them. They're right there. Number 23, Jim Beheim, Syracuse uh, legend, Syracuse, uh, you know, curmudgeon, whatever word you want to use, a, a man that has pissed his pants multiple times on the sideline. He is uh, officially out of the game of college basketball, and he did it in the most Jim Beheim way possible. He begrudgingly retired in Greensboro, a, a, a city that he famously hates, that he never wanted to go to. Um, he did a press conference after he lost. Um, he said, you got to ask the administration if he's the coach anymore, which obviously implies that he's not the coach. He also said that he had already given his retirement speech and that the media had missed it. Um, <laughs> all very Jim Beheim things to say and do. You dumbasses. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. He was just like, you guys are idiots. And if you didn't pick up on that, then you're dumber than I thought you were. Um, the, the classic Jim Beheim way, he took a role with Syracuse to be like um, some sort of like administrative, like whatever role. I don't know. He, he's working for the university. They're paying him money. He seems to be happy about it. But his press conference in Greensboro will go down as one of the most awkward retirement goodbyes ever. But that's also Jim Beheim. That's what he does. Number 22 this is one that we learned in the tournament, and I think we should have learned it in 2021 when we saw them play, but there were no fans in the crowd, so it was a little bit different. But UCLA-Gonzaga is an all-time NCAA tournament matchup. We need it. We got to have it. The committee is making sure it happens. It always delivers, and uh, as we saw this year, Amari Bailey, huge shot, very similar to the Marcus Page shot, and then Julian Strother hits the Chris Jenkins shot on top of it to get the win in Vegas. I think that was the best game of the tournament. Um, even though both these teams, the, you know, Gonzaga ends up getting blown out by UConn, but UConn won the title. So I think that that makes it a little bit more palatable. Um, also, Drew Timmy is uh, is good is goodbye and he's gone from college basketball, Kyle. I don't know if you saw this, but there will be no more, uh, you know, South Park Timmy references. There will be no more stroking of the mustache. There will be no more headbands. 
Maybe there will be the Gimme Timmy podcast. I think that will continue. But, um, you know, Drew Timmy, he's out of, he's out of the game. So uh, that was a big headline, losing him. One of the big characters in college basketball. So shout out to Drew Timmy. Um, coming up, number 21, um, I feel like this is where he's going to be consistently ranked because that's what he does when, he, when he's at this program. Maybe even higher, though. Sean Miller. Um, a man that, you know, the last time Kyle and I were doing a podcast, he was in the midst of an FBI uh, situation. Um, he was, you know, there were tapes involved. He was apparently on the phone. The tapes, you know, were released, but also they didn't matter, I guess, because he's back coaching. He's back at Xavier and he's better than ever now. He knows how to run offense. Uh, he had Sule Boom and Colby Jones. They were great for the Xavier team. They had a great season. Uh, he's kind of turned into an offensive mastermind uh, of sorts. So Sean Miller, back in the zeitgeist, loved by the people, loved by Xavier, goes back to a, to a program that he helped get to a certain level. He's trying to get them to their final four that they're looking for, right? The one that will get them over the hump. They had a good season. They get to the Sweet 16. So, Sean Miller, he's back and better than ever. And remember, he never gave any money to a player right. in the right. state of Arizona on a Tuesday uh, with while knowing he did it. So just right. always remember that. <laughs> always remember that. And go watch that press conference because that is the greatest example of plausible deniability we've ever seen in college basketball. That is our favorite ability. It's deniability. Um, and that is what Sean Miller works under. Shout out to him. Uh, here we go. Number 20. This is a good one. Uh, Miami provided the blueprint for the NIL roster. Which is crazy because uh, in the offseason, this was a hot topic. A lot of people were very upset about this. Kansas State's guard, Nigel Pack, um, it's reported that he gets 800000 to go to Miami. Um, then there was a response from Isaiah Wong, their current guard, who had just led them to a big upset over Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith and Auburn to, on the way to the 2022 Elite Eight. And Isaiah Wong says, well, if that's what he's getting, I'm going to need the same type of bag. Um, and Miami said, of course, that, that's how we do things. This is Miami. This, this, we are who we say we are. We are the you already know. Um, and Coach Larinaga um, just took this roster that NIL helped cultivate, create, and turn them into a real contender, gets them to the program's first Final Four. Um, like I said, went to the Elite Eight last year. They're the class of the ACC. They share the ACC regular season. Um, and Coach L is, is looking like a Hall of Famer confirmed. So, Pretty big deal there for Miami fans. Shout out to Kevin Clark. Um, number 19, this is another star in Florida that we got to talk about. His name is Dusty May. Um, and I, th I think his name is, it, we're sleeping on it. I think it's a good name. I think he's a good character. I like the way he carried himself throughout the entire NCAA tournament. He felt like he expected to win every game he played in. And dare I say, he reminded me of Brad Stevens. He gave me very, very much 2010 Brad Stevens vibes. And Dusty May is a former manager of Indiana. He's the perfect person for Indiana fans to, you know, Photoshop, you know, the Indiana sweater, the night sweater and say, he's our future head coach. He's the HBC we're looking for. Dusty May decided to sign an extension with FAU. I see them as like a preseason top 25 team um, coming up. So they're going to be in the conversation again. And uh, I'm a fan of Dusty May. I think he's a really good basketball coach. So it's good. We needed more characters and we needed good basketball coaches to actually come to the forefront. Dusty May did his job. Speaking of good basketball coaches that are good characters, number 18, the must bus rolls on. Um, so in case you missed it, uh, the must bus lost his mind at the Maui Invitational. He was threatening officials. He was threatening tournament executives. I think he threatened me on the way out. I mean, he, he was pointing at everybody. Um, he said they didn't want him to win. They didn't want Arkansas to be one of these top teams, yada, yada, yada. 
But the must bust, despite the injuries that, that Brazil suffered, and obviously Nick Smith was in and out of the lineup the entire year, he gets them back to their third straight Sweet 16. They kind of just ran out of gas when they played against UConn in the Sweet 16. Again, they lost to the national champion, so you can't be that upset about that. Last year, they lose to a Duke team that looked like they could go on to win the national championship. So, um, And look, Arkansas hadn't made a Sweet 16 since 1996 prior to the must bust coming to town. So shout out to the must bust. Number 17, Another great character. Um, his daughter, Katie Underwood, was a former intern. We love Brad Underwood. And uh, in case you forgot, one of the greatest moments this year in college basketball, Brad Underwood, after Illinois played Penn State, they just they threw up a dud. They, they played a really terrible game. He went into the press conference, questioned the leadership of his team. And then when asked about the leadership of his team, he went... Pfft. <laughs> that he made he made a fart noise into the microphone. Um, that is something that it'll play back in my head for quite some time. I still think about it every now and then. I thought it was like one of the purest coaching moments I've seen. It also lit a fire under his team. Some people thought at the time it was childish, immature, ridiculous. I thought it was college basketball, baby. That's what we do. <laughs> Farts are never um, not funny either. Remember that. Right. When in doubt, and, and just make a fart sound. <laughs> right. Especially when you have no words to describe the lack of leadership on your team. You're just like, yeah, that question and the thought of the leadership on this team is a fart noise right now. And if anything, that inspired guys like TJ Shannon to say, you know what? Maybe I should lead more. Um, so shout out to Brad Underwood there. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, coming back, number 16 on our list of our 30 takeaways. Someone that fell out of favor when we talk about college basketball coaches and the future and what it looks like. Almost, you know, kind of jumped the shark a little bit. And his name is Shaka Smart. And Shaka Smart, with the greatest get out of Dodge move in history, leaves Texas before they fire him. You know, he said, I'm breaking up with you before you can break up with me. Very good move. Goes back to a school that is a quote unquote basketball school, has great history, has the history of Al McGuire. Um, and he kind of just showed the world this year why Marquette is such a perfect fit for, for him. Um, had a young team that developed really well. Ended up having the Big East Player of the Year in Tyler Kolick. Uh, they win the Big East Tournament in Madison Square Garden. It, it was just a great year for Shaka Smart. The redemption tour of Shaka Smart. I was happy for him. It was great to see. Uh, I was not happy with Tyler Kolick's performance in the you know in March Madness. I thought he struggled a little bit, but at the end of the day, Marquette was a very fun team, very good story. Shaka Smart's back. We love to see it. And uh, you know, you play Mr. March, Tom Izzo in March, you got a tough uphill battle. So we'll give him the benefit of the doubt there. I'm not going to talk too much about the tournament record. I know people want to talk about that, but it's a new day for Shaka Smart and Marquette. Um, number fourteen. We got Marquise Noel and, uh, you know, we on the show uh, talked about Kimba candidates going into the tournament. I think I'm going to start calling this the Marquise Noel candidate 
that's how good he was. Set an NCAA tournament record with 19 assists. Was just putting on an absolute show in the garden. Um, got criticized a little bit at the end there against FAU, not taking the last shot. But when a guy's, you know, got 19 assists and is dominating the game, you know, as a 5'10 point guard, there's no criticism to be had. He's going to go to the NBA. I think he's going to be a player in the NBA. He's a true point guard. Also, shout out to Jerome Tang, their coach. They were picked to finish last in the Big 12. FYI, they did not finish last. They had a great year. They could have made the Final Four. They were right there on the precipice. And also, um, I feel like the general American audience, every year in March Madness, there's like a, there's like a rap song that 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 kind of just cuts through the surface and, and catches white America's attention. And Little Baby <laughs> this year did that. Um, Low Down by Little Baby was the pregame song that they played, Jerome Tang, and, the, and they were all clapping, getting fired up. And, you know, we needed that kind of energy to, to get into the world, to showcase how fun this team is and Jerome Tang he checks all the boxes Kyle I, I'm a big fan so um, pretty big headline there and uh, a guy we're going to talk a lot about in the future Jerome Tang was with Baylor with Scott Drew he knows something he's got it figured out he knows how to find players I like his talent evaluation and I like that when Kansas State beat Kansas he said that's what we expect to do that, that's what we do here um, all right moving forward Whew, we're get, we're getting down, folks. Number thirteen, right, Kyle? Am, 14. I, am I keeping my 14. number fourteen? I'm 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 struggling with my numbers here. Uh, for the second time in history, in case you missed it, a sixteen seed beat a one seed, and it just so happened to feature National Player of the Year Zach Eady. Um, Tobin Anderson was the head coach of FDU. He is a uh, a guy that has come from D3 to D2, literally worked his way all the way up. Now he's the coach of Iona, but Fairly Dickinson, um, an all-time game, an all-time performance, literally going to be a Disney movie probably at some point. I don't know who gets the Disney movie, UMBC or FDU, or maybe they both get it, um, but it was just a great David versus Goliath moment. Um, Purdue struggles, obviously, and we, we'll talk about them as we move forward, but what a what a moment for FDU and uh, FDU believe it. I think one of the best calls of the tournament. So um, shout out to Tobin Anderson. Shout out to Fairleigh Dickinson. Shout out to New Jersey. Great run for them. Speaking of great runs in the tournament, number thirteen on the list, San Diego State. They are the face of the offseason new bloods. Uh, they are they are the face of the franchise. We had the blue bloods, we had the true bloods, and we had the new bloods. San Diego State is the definition of a new blood. First Sweet Sixteen in twenty eleven. Really no program history. Before um, Kawhi Leonard came to town and made this possible, Steve Fisher made this possible, um, and they're headed for new heights as a program. They get to the title game. Obviously, it doesn't go the way that they thought, but they have an all-time shot. Whenever we do the montages, you know, in March Madness, Lamont Butler's shot's going to be in the montage. Um, it's going to be a shot we talk about in the Final Four history. So, San Diego State, in a world where the Blue Bloods are trying to, you know, always be the ones that that are the traditional teams that get all the shine in March, San Diego State says, "Stamp us in." We're a frontline new blood. We know who we are. We're moving forward with that. So shout out to Brian Dutcher. Great run for that group. I'm excited to see how they retool. I think the transfer portal will be big for them. I think they're going to have a lot of people that want to go to San Diego State that maybe didn't before. Um, So, you know, that's going to be fun to watch. All right, number 12, it's our guy. We love him. Coach Calipari. Yes, of course. Um, He dealt with the haters this year. Um, The haters were coming at Coach Cal's neck. They were looking up his buyout. And in fact, when Chris Beard got fired at Rupp Arena, Kyle, there was a man, a fan. Uh, some people said he was a crisis actor. I'm not sure, <laughs> but he brought a sign that said, please go to Texas. Um, it was a message to the haters. It was a message to Calipari that that the UK fans are turning on him. They don't want him to be there anymore. 
Calipari says uh, that was not a UK fan. He ignores it. He took all the phones away from his players. They go to Tennessee. They get a big win. All is well in the world. We love Calipari again. They go to the tournament. They lose to Kansas State. The please go to Texas sign is back up. There's just dude with signs standing <laughs> outside his office that says please please go to Texas, even though he can't because Rodney Terry got hired. But um, that was a that was a great January. There's not a lot of great January moments in college basketball, but please go to Texas was a great moment in January. Um, this is number number eleven, right? Number eleven reclimate. All right, yeah. the quad the quad <laughs> the quad system is dumb. Yes, yes, the net system and the quad system. Is just dumb and it needs to be disregarded. I have hated it since it was invented. It is, and they won't show me the formula. They will not release their work. That's all we ask in this world of math is to show your work. They won't do it. And the worst part about it is even though that people say that they're not looking at the net and they're not looking at the quad system, that's not the basis of the seating. It obviously has has screwed up the seating at some level because the seating in this tournament was terrible. It was all the way off. UConn should not have been a four seed, especially with the way that they dominated uh, out of conference this year. Didn't lose a game out of conference. Um, I don't know how we weighed it properly, but we just don't use the net and we don't use the quadrant system because it fluctuates. It changes. It's dumb. If I hear one person say Q1 win to me again, I'm going to say they're QA non and I'm going to ignore them and I'm going to I'm going to send them on their own way. Um, I'm done with it. Throw it out. Uh, moving forward, speaking of things that might be done with, Alabama and Nate Oates, um, they became the villains of college basketball this year. And, uh, you know, obviously a, a, a horrendous story off the court. It involved their best player, Brandon Miller. Um, it was the, the time where Alabama went to from this fun athletic group that was dominating the SEC to now we have to talk about all the the off the court stuff. It just made it put a bad taste in your mouth when you talked about Alabama in general and especially Nate Oates. And I say this as someone that was a fan of Nate Oates because he called out Coach K. People forget. He was like, I'm sure Coach K wouldn't want to suspend the season, um, you know, oh, yeah. if he wasn't. Yeah, right. Nate Oates was that was the Nate guy. Oates was one of the one of the early ones to not be afraid of of Mr. K. So, look, I still give Alabama a chance. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna write them dead to rights. I'm just saying this year they were unequivocally the villains of college basketball. Maybe they can change their image. Brandon Miller is obviously going to the NBA, so that was his own separate storyline. Not fun to discuss. Not fun to talk about. And Alabama flamed out in the tournament. They lost to San Diego State, who ended up getting to the title game. So there you go. Um, what are we, number nine now? We got nine. We got nine. And uh, speaking of nines, um, this is just a great This is a great rivalry in college basketball. It's something that you know I wasn't really a fan of growing up. Um, I didn't really care um, about this rivalry very much. It felt like more of a local rivalry. But I feel like it's now a national rivalry. And it... And it became that way because of two stars. And I and I thought that uh, it really played out that way this year in college basketball. Indiana-Purdue, um, Mike Woodson has brought some fire back to this rivalry. Matt Painter was just dominating Archie Miller. It wasn't even fun to watch these games. It felt like Indiana had no chance. Mike Woodson's come back. He's brought in the Bob Knight energy. He's got that old tier of, you know, Indiana Hoosier fans wearing the candy stripes fired up again. And this year, you know, TJD... Looked amazing against Zach Eady. Looked like the better player against Zach Eady. Went at him. Um, and they were just fun games. And in a world where, you know, a lot of the mainstream people say Duke Carolina has fallen out of favor. Louisville's a disaster. So Louisville, Kentucky is not a conversation. Um, I mean, UCLA, Arizona is a great, you know, rivalry we got going. But again, that's not as close proximity wise as like an Indiana Purdue and the culture is different and, you know, different states, all that. 
I think Indiana-Purdue is, is a top-tier rivalry in college basketball. We have to lean into it. We have to embrace it. I think uh, this game's only going to get better with time uh, with these two coaches. So uh, that was a big, you know, number nine, big talking point for me. Indiana-Purdue, you have my attention. You're, you're, you're up there. You have my respect. Um, Louisville, Kentucky, sorry, you don't. Um, all right, number eight. This one's this one really hurts because uh, we wanted this to happen. We're going to talk uh, to Brian Curtis a little bit about this, but Houston season of destiny ends in early defeat and uh, much to Jim Nance's chagrin. I think Jim Nance wanted this as, as much as we wanted it. We wanted Houston to be in the final four in Houston, a little homecoming. They look like a team that could do it all year. They were a talented group. Some injuries uh, obviously affected them. I felt bad for Kelvin Sampson. He got his little, you know, shining moment in the national championship game. They showed him in the crowd, but it should have been more. Um, so Houston let me down a little bit this year. And uh, we, like I said, we don't get the destiny that we always wanted. Um, number seven, this is something that I'm, I'm frankly almost tired of talking about. And, uh, you know, maybe people will say uh, my own conference biases at play here, but Man, the Big Ten sucks, Kyle. I'm, I'm so tired of watching the Big Ten get in the NCAA tournament and lose and then blame everybody else and say, yeah, we actually did deserve nine teams and these are just the odds. Uh, you know, we just got bad matchups, bad draws. How many bad matchups do you have to have before I have to question the integrity of the conference? Also, Maryland did not win a national championship for your conference. They won it in the ACC. Mm-hmm. Stop saying that 2002 is your title. It's not. Um, and shout out to Tom Izzo because yet again, he's the only man that can do it. He is him and John Beeline. Bring Beeline back. Please bring <laughs> Beeline back. I don't I don't know where he should go in the Big Ten, but bring it back. But those guys are carrying the banner for the Big Ten. I think Michigan State, uh, I, I like Chris Holtman at Ohio State. I think if they can reload, maybe they're a team that could do it. But somebody other than Mr. March himself has to help this conference in March. And and Matt Painter, we're all looking at you. Maybe if you're a Big Ten fan, you blame Painter. Also, if you're a Big Ten fan, maybe you don't care about the conference. Maybe you're like, I don't care what the conference does. I just care about my team. So you don't care about this, this, uh, you know, this de- designation by me, but a bust. That's all I can say. A bust again in the tournament. Hated to see it. Um, the Big East, though, not a bust. They, they look like a powerhouse again. And uh, the Big East is back. Not the old Big East. Um, it's a little bit different now. A little bit different now because uh, one of the coaches, Ed Cooley, left Providence and is going to Georgetown. That would have never happened in the old Big East. They would have rather killed somebody than let that happen in the old Big East. Um, but the new big new Big East is fun. Um, I'm excited about what's ahead. You know, we're we're gonna talk about another guy in the Big East that I think is my number one storyline. But you know, we'll get there. The Big East is a powerhouse again. It's fun. Uh, I'm 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 happy to see Georgetown have some relevancy. I'm gonna miss Patrick Ewing. You know, but he had his run. He won the 2021 Big East tournament. We all remember it was great. Speaking of winning tournaments, the UConn Huskies, they win their fifth title since 1999. I have to keep saying that because. It still hasn't quite washed over me yet. I can't believe it's real. Um, and now the blue blood conversation is just going to be obnoxious, uh, more so than ever. It used to be pretty succinct, in my opinion, but now you know you, you got a lot of you got a lot of people chirping, a lot of people are upset. You know, me and Kyle Mann talked about this, but um, you know, I'm happy for Dan Hurley. I'm not a Hurley guy, obviously. Um, I'm a North Carolina guy, so Bobby Hurley was never my cup of tea. But I like Bobby Hurley, the coach. I'll be honest. I'll break the fourth wall. I like Bobby Hurley as a coach. And you know what I like about Dan Hurley? Dan Hurley is, I thought he was a little arrogant at times, but I think he was just trying to speak his truth. He said, 
when he lost to Villanova a couple years ago, he said, get us while you get us while you can, you know, just get us while you can. And I thought that was obnoxious. I was like, okay, Dan Hurley, whatever you say, Jay Wright's going to keep getting you. Um, but lucky for him, Jay Wright retired. And all of a sudden, Dan Hurley and the UConn Huskies, they get to the biggest stage. You can't say anything about it because they absolutely dominated everybody. And uh, it was an ultimate message to the haters. Dan Hurley, the UConn Huskies win their national championship. And now they're now they're a team we're going to talk about. I mean, they might be preseason number one. So I think that was a big takeaway. Um, speaking of blue bloods, my guy, the man himself, the Mick, Mick Cronin. <laughs> he's the man. I, I mean, th- there's no one that has won me over as far as like uh, a new age basketball coach more than Mick Cronin. I used to not like Mick Cronin at Cincinnati for whatever reason. But when he's gotten to UCLA, he just has this assurance about himself. I like the way that he you know dresses in the suits. I like the way that his players play. I loved the combination on the wing of Jaime Jaquez and Jalen Clark. I'm going to miss both those guys. I thought they represented UCLA to the max. Tiger Campbell, your guy, Kyle's guy. Definitely. Um, very lovable man. Um, a, a great, you know, pure point guard. They were just a great team. And the fact that they lost two starters and they still made the Sweet 16, I just think, it, it, you know, obviously it didn't work out. But I, I think if this team is healthy, we could be talking about an all-time game between UCLA and UConn to go to the Final Four in the Elite Eight. I think that's what we would have saw, what we would have seen. So Mick Cronin, ultimate respect. Excited for what UCLA looks like in the future. They're going to be great. Um, number three, this is more of a reminder um, than anything. Matt Painter still hasn't made a Final Four. Um, and you know, we, we do legacy talk here. We, we got to talk about coaches and, you know, the pantheons and the tiers. Matt Painter is a really, really good basketball coach. Um, I, I saw parlay kid was getting killed by Harry for calling him a very good basketball coach, but he is a very, very good basketball coach, but he's got a win in March. Um, and losing to FDU and losing the way that they lost was just deflating. I mean, I'm not a Purdue fan and I'm watching that game and I just felt deflated. Um, I, I hope that this is a, a chance for Matt Painter to re-up on what Virginia did in 2019. They lose to a 16 seed in 2018. Then they come back in 2019. Zach Eady, the National Player of the Year, is coming back. So that's good news. Um, so Matt Painter maybe makes a Final Four next year. But big takeaway, Matt Painter still without a Final Four. Still question marks. Um, I don't like it. I'm worried about Purdue. Um, but we'll see what happens there. Number two, and this guy is... I mean, he was on his way, and this team was on their way. I mean, they had the most... I I said I'm not going to mention quad one wins, but here I am. Kansas had the most quad one wins in college basketball, bar none. Wasn't even close. Um, And then Bill Self had what was reported as a heart attack. Um, I guess he got stints in his heart. But regardless, Bill Self misses the NCAA tournament. Kansas gets upset by Arkansas. I have to think, and then he did a press conference yesterday. There was a lot of rumblings that Bill Self was going to retire. Instead, Bill Self went in there Wolf of Wall Street style (laughs) and said, I'm back and we're going to be bigger and better than ever, Um, which I don't even know how that's possible given the success of Bill Self in this Kansas program. But he says it's going to happen. I believe it's going to happen. Bill Self is back. Bill Self is ready. He's looking for his whistle. He's got his he's got his trophies in the back of the car. He's going to load the wagon. Um, and and the number two big takeaway of this season is that Kansas is not going anywhere. Bill Self's not going anywhere. Watch out for the Jayhawks. And number one, and I think this is a given. I, I have my St. John's basketball as life shirt on. We were looking for a king of New York. Everybody's looking for a king of New York. Everyone's looking for Frank Lucas. Everyone's looking for American Gangster. 
And he's going to be wearing a white suit and he's going to be stalking the sidelines at MSG. He said he wants to play every home game at MSG. He said there's not enough capacity in Queens to, to, <laughs> to have the type of crowds that he expects for this St. John's program, which is why we love Slick Rick Patino. He's never been slicker. He's never been Ricker. And he's going to be in Madison Square Garden. And uh, we were trying to find who the face of MSG is. You know, we, we were talking about this last year when I was at the Big East tournament. Like, who is the face of MSG? We gave it to Calhoun because he was kind of standing in the background. Rick Patino's not standing in the background, folks. He's going to be on the sidelines and he's going to be acting exactly as you'd expect. He's already trying to tamper. He's already trying to steal recruits from North Carolina. Uh, one of them being Ian Jackson, a.k.a. Captain Jack. Uh, there's another kid, Boogie Flan, who's a point guard that's also on his radar. I would expect both of them to end up with Rick Patino because that's just how this goes. That's what Rick does. Rick makes it happen. Even when you don't expect it or least expect it, he does what he does. So, uh, that's my number one take. And I'll be there whether I can convince the ringer to pay for it or, or I got to right. break up with the piggy bank. I'll be there this year. We got to go to a game. I, I don't know. Hopefully we got some Johnny's fans out there. They'll reach out to us and Just tell us what game. game we should go to. Yeah. What's the best game to go to? Cause yeah, we got to be an MSG. We got to see slick Rick. I would love to get him on the podcast. I mean, I interviewed him for, for five star a few years ago and he told me some amazing stories, Kyle. He told me the story about how Donovan Mitchell uh, committed to him. He like, he was like, we were sitting at dinner. He goes to the bathroom. Then he comes back down and just is smiling. And he's like, you check your phone, coach? And he's like, "What do you check my phone. What do you mean check my phone? And he checks his phone. He's like, he tweeted it. He tweeted it. He committed to me. You know, he's like, didn't even tell me to my face. Rick's all Rick's all upset about it. You know, he's like, but that's the new age that we live in. So uh, he's got great stories. He's the best. The reason he's a coach is because he loves Hawaii Five-0. But, you know, I mean, like there's a million stories <laughs> why Rick Bettino is the best. Um, that's why he's the number one takeaway. He's going to be the number one main character of this show. He always will be, um, no matter what. We we have great characters in college basketball. We have the tampering. We have the transfer portal. There's a lot that we're going to get into. But those are the big 30 things that I have um, that, that were on the docket that we had to hit. And in case you missed it, we got 215 days to digest that, right? The, the, there are 215 days before the season starts again. We got a nice little run in the offseason. So it, it's going to be fun. I'm excited to talk about, you know, some of these characters, some of these storylines as the offseason progresses. Again, the transfer portal is going to be pretty big for us. Um, I say all that to say, though, now we have the Ringers, Brian Curtis, who's going to come on and break down Jim Nance's last dance his last run of March Madness. I'm excited for that. So tune in. Here he is, the Press Box's own Brian Curtis. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, joining us now on One Shining Podcast, he is the editor at large at the ringer.com.com.com. He is someone that has always been a good friend of mine. He is someone that has always gotten us on the straight and narrow path in this world of media as we try to figure out what the future looks like. He, of course, is the great Brian Curtis. Brian, thanks so much for coming on One Shining Podcast. It's great to see you. <laughs> Welcome back, sir. 
It's uh, it's been a long time. Um, you know what what a what a time in between. You know, I left uh, the Ringer back in 2019. Uh, we had a global pandemic between then and now. Uh, we all went you know our own separate ways, and then weirdly, paths came back and converged again. And as soon as Bill Simmons you know popped back on my phone, I was like, you know, this sounds like a great idea, and I get to work with uh, great people again. So I'm very excited. It's awesome. So, so nice to see your smiling face. <laughs> well, we uh, there was a lot of smiles this March, Brian Curtis, and that's why I brought you on this podcast. Well, sometimes there were smiles. Sometimes there were tears. There was just a lot of uh, heartfelt emotions, obviously, and that, that comes with March Madness. And it comes with the man that you know very well. You've interviewed over the years, someone that I've looked up to, uh, you know, watching college basketball my whole life. He's been covering the NCAA tournament since 1986. We know him as our friend. He said farewell to his friends. His name, of course is Jim Nance. So we're, we're going to get into all of the particulars, but first and foremost, what was it like for you as someone that covers the media watching and letting Jim Nance wash over you one last time in March? One of the coolest things about having my job is that I get to ride with people for decades and decades and decades. Unlike people who cover the actual sports themselves. Right. So when I started out in this business, all the people who had the big jobs were the people who had the big jobs when I was a little kid. And Jim Nance started calling the NCAA tournament when I was 13 years old. The final four, that is not just the NCAA tournament, but the final four when I was 13. <laughs> Tate, Tate, I'm not young. I mean, this, right. this is this is amazing. Like who has had a job in this world since 1991? Mm. You know, even Jim Beheim, you can't say that about anymore. It's it's unbelievable. So to go that long to contain that much college basketball history, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And he, uh, you know, was talking about the stories. Right. And, you know, Bill Raftery at the end of his final last call, he was like, you, you were one of the best at telling those stories. And I think that's something that always comes back to Jim Nance. And, you know, one of the tropes that we see in media nowadays, which I think you and I probably offline would laugh about is right. Everyone's talking about the narrative, right? The narrative, this, the narrative, that. And, you know, the narrative with Jim Nance, you know, it, it always felt like we were with him as he was telling this story, right? So what what was it like, you know, just witnessing him tell so many stories throughout the years? And it's almost going to be weird not to have him as our narrator, right? We're going to, we're losing one of our reliable narrators in the sport. I've always thought he's been happiest at events where he can be both the announcer and a figure who's kind of like a small town mayor of the event itself. That's Jim Nance at the Masters. That's Jim Nance at the Final Four. <laughs> I know everybody. I shake everybody's hand. I'm introducing you, the viewer, to people. Not introducing you to Patrick Mahomes, but I'm introducing you to this golfer who's having a great Saturday. I'm introducing you to this college basketball player you've never heard of before if you're just tuning in. He loves that. That 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 to me is his happiest place. And, you know, to tell the story, he had that that whole thing about tell stories and then also be kind. Be kind when you're telling the story. I mean, that was to me such a Nancyan idea of how he does his job. And it also like, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into, you know, the actual final broadcast because I thought that was kind of its own fascinating journey. But one of the things that I thought kind of, um, you know, showcased the way that media has maybe changed a little bit, even since Jim Nance started back in 1986 when you were 13 years old. Right. He he almost had to break the fourth wall a little bit when he was doing his final goodbye, where he was like, and I mean this, you know, and I, and he was like, I know this sounds like I'm playing off hello friends, but I really want to say like, thank you friends. Like I, you, thank you for being my friend for all these years. And, you know, he almost had to preface that because we're so, 
not cynical, but everyone's so in the know these days, right? That that we had to, you know, he almost had to be a little bit different, Jim Nance, at that moment to say, no, I'm being sincere here. This isn't just something that I planned out. I really do want to thank you guys for being my friend. I thought that was fascinating, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm not an Instagrammer who's looking for a catchphrase or a podcaster like you and me. Right. He believes this stuff. And that's one thing about interviewing him is that there is no, like, detached, ironic, Jim Nance, at least in my experience, that's different than the guy on TV. Mm. You know, sometimes when you see sportscasters, they're so sportscastery that you think, boy, I'd love to have a beer with that guy and get the real story, what he really thinks. And all my encounters with Nance, that's what he really thinks. That's the way it feels about things. He told me one time, last time I saw him last year at the uh, PGA Championship, he said, sometimes I get choked up on the air when I'm doing golf. And viewers can hear me because there'll be this layout and I'll sit there and have to recover because I am emotional on the air about what is happening in the golf tournament. And then I recover and call the 18th hole. Mm. That's Jim and Nance. That's Jim Nance, right? That That is like the Jim Nance difference, right? That we always see when we're out there. And I thought uh, the theme of his final four this year, obviously there was a hope, there was a belief. I talked about this a lot on, on the podcast that, you know, there was a world in which, right, Jim Nance, the final four goes back to Houston. Jim Nance gets to see his alma mater, right? He gets <laughs> to see Kelvin Sampson. This is the team that was, you know, they weren't preseason number one, but they kind of were wink, wink preseason number one, right? My North Carolina Tar Heels won the narrative battle of the offseason. They went over the AP voters. But the idea was that Jim Nance gets to call his Houston Cougars in Houston one last time, one last tie, right? This whole dream. Uh, we didn't get to see that, obviously, because Miami and, and just the fact that Houston, you know, wasn't able to put it together, had injuries, all this other stuff. How sad do you think Jim Nance was deep down or how or how much did we just try to impress that idea upon him? You know, what is that fine line between those two realities? Yeah. Speaking of projecting, as soon as Houston went down, I was like, you know what Jim Nance's second favorite thing would be is to call a University of Texas National Championship because it's a Southwest Conference. Like he could, he would totally groove <laughs> he on He could that. find the connection, right? Yeah. That was just me. You know, I'm not sure Jim Nance cared about that at all. It's funny. I guarantee you somewhere in his heart, he was thinking about that. He mm -hmm. was thinking, if I'm going to sign off, this would be an absolutely perfect way to sign off, right? This is a guy that was on... Uh, on the golf team in Houston with Freddie Couples and later got to cover Fred Couples winning the Masters. There right, 1992. Yeah, very there. full circle thing, yeah. And that's why we think of him as a golf guy, but he was also there at the dawn of Five Slam Slamajama. He was also very much a basketball person. And, you know, yeah, absolutely. Of course he would have, of course he thinks that. Mm. Uh, he's the kind of guy I think would be, he'll say, and he would be totally honest in saying, I'm going to be happy for whatever team wins. I'm happy to call it. But of course, that would have been wonderful symmetry. He would have dug it. Yeah, and it would have been almost, you know, too poetic, right? And it, it's kind of funny to me. We saw last year, right, in 2022, he covers the, the the Final Four. We get Carolina Duke the first time in the Final Four. On the opposite side, you have Villanova, who is, you know, one of the better programs, if not the, the best program of the 2010s, going up against Kansas, who is also arguing for that same, you know, kind of belt. So you're talking about titans of the game in the most watched Final Four. Like, those games are some of the most watched games we've seen in television over the past 10 years, right? So Jim Nance, he has that Final Four last year with Coach K's final game that he's on the call for against his rival, right? Such a huge moment. And then you get, you know, into this final four. 
I'm looking at the ratings. This, this is the least watched, you know, men's final four um, on record, right? The, the, the 14 million people watch it as opposed to the 18 million that we saw last year. So it, it is like a, it's like a almost unfortunate that the field didn't reflect the big moment for Jim Nance. And, and that is that something that we we can all kind of mourn a little bit? Because I, I felt like that was something that hurt my heart a little bit in the end as well. I think one thing I could say is that the game of college basketball has changed more radically than any sport he's covered over the period of the last several decades. Mm-hmm. You look at the Masters, kind of the Masters. Right. You look at the NFL, it's kind of the NFL. You know, he started out, needless to say, before the NIL before the age of the massive college basketball transfers all across the country, right? Uh, a time when we would now look like, wow, the NCAA was stealing a lot of money from college basketball players. <laughs> right. But it was an idea when a lot of people in this world were grooving on amateurism, right? This is the noble thing. This is yes, the pure the student athlete playing for the love of the game, all that. Yeah, this is the pure thing. And obviously CBS's coverage was you know grooving on those same uh fumes. I mean, that was that's what it was, right? So I to me, in a way, it's symbolic of how much the game has changed over the period he's covered it. And again, to me, radically uh, more than any other sport he's he's dealt with. And, you know, the, I think that's the other wrinkle of the Jim Nance story and even the college basketball story. I was talking about a reliable narrator, college basketball, you know, that he's been almost a, a conscience of short, of sorts for college basketball. Once we get to March, we get the CBS coverage. You get Jim Nance there. You get Raft there. They're sort of in Grant Hill, right? Who's always been a, you know, a consummate good guy. Even if you're a Duke guy, you're like Grant Hill's a good guy, right? So they've kind of been like they they shepherded along the game a little bit with the with the good natured conversation about college basketball. But as you said, there's always been the the surface level that we all want to talk about, which is the class and the purity of the game and all that. But then there's also the next level, which is the bag men, as we like to call them on this program. And now we deal with the wild wild west with the transfer portal so i mean at some level can, can you it's fair to not blame jim nance in the same way that like a roy williams or a jim Beheim or a coach k or a jay wright right say hey the game has changed and and maybe it's it's not my game anymore right is that a fair feeling for jim nance to have well i think i think if the next time i see him i'll ask him this but i wonder if it was easier to step away from this Mm. Uh, than his other two big jobs. Look, you're not stepping away from calling Super Bowls and being the number one NFL announcer. That's just, that's the best job in the broadcasting. world. Right. The Masters, he said he wants to get to 50. Started that in 86 too. Wants to get up to 50. So he's got a little ways to go there. But just because the nature of college basketball changed so much that it wasn't easier for him to just be like, okay, call today, hand the ball to Ian Eagle, and we go mm. from here. Yeah, and Ian Eagle came on the show. He, uh, I asked him about, uh, does he have a tie, right? Does he have something that he's got up his sleeve? And uh, he said he was going to figure it out. He said he might give his glasses away, so that would be something <laughs> in his back pocket. I did want to ask, I, I didn't even see this this year. Did Jim Nance actually give his tie away? Did, did you see this? I, I, I missed that, but I assume it happened. Just when I saw so uh, when we get to one shining moment, he uh, he watches one shining moment on the floor with his daughter, you know, arm around their beautiful family moment, all that sort of stuff. He still had his tie on, Brian Curtis. So uh, that, that's okay. my question. Maybe did Jim Nance give himself his tie for his final <laughs> final four? I think that might be poetic. That might be fitting. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say send it to the Museum of Broadcasting, but uh, giving right. it to himself would have been a 
would have been an additional wrinkle. But. That, would, that would have been something. I, uh, you know, it, that that moment was very sweet. And obviously, one shining moment has its own, you know, it, it tugs at the heart. And we all know that. So I thought that was great. And I thought that was a great final shot of Jim Nance, you know, at the final four. I wanted to talk to you about the theme a little bit because he quoted Aerosmith to open the game. He said, dream on, dream until your dreams come true. Uh-huh. Uh, what what was on your bingo card for what the opening of, of Jim Nance's final call would be? Because I didn't know if I had that one. I don't either. Um, again, translating it into the career of Jim Nance, I think of the guy who once said that when he was at the Final Four, and I believe this is one of the Houston Final Fours in the mid-80s, he spent half the game watching his alma mater and the other half of the game watching Brent Musburger call the game for CBS. Now think about that, right? When we're quoting Aerosmith lyrics here, that's the guy I want to be. Right. You know, Brent was the Jim Nance of the eighties and doing every single sport on CBS, one of the biggest stars in broadcasting. And then what happens in 1990 after Jim's come to CBS, Brent Musburger gets relieved of his job during the final four in Denver. Most, most spectacular things that's ever happened in broadcasting. And it was between the semis and the final. And then he went out the next day and called the final and said adios and literally threw it to Jim Nance, who was hosting the broadcast. And we talk about a handoff. <laughs> right, right. And then to see your hero in that light, you know, for the final time. And also that, that was another thing I wanted to ask you about Nance, because, you know, in media, right, everything is changing. The whole landscape has shifted. And even when I was a kid, uh, you know, I wanted to be on ESPN, right? That, that was what we talked about, that, you know, you want to be a sportscaster. You want to be Stuart Scott. You want to be Dan Patrick. You want to be Rich Eisen. You wanted to go be a sports center anchor, right? That was like a path. And the, the idea was you would hopefully be there for as long as they'd let you be there, right? You'd be a lifer. And Jim Nance was, you know, one of the, the the last lifers that I feel like we have in media. I mean, he came in and said, I want to be a CBS guy. That's my dream. And then he's been at CBS this entire run. How unique is that journey in, in a world where everything is shifting 24-7 in the media world? I was thinking about this before we came on, because if you're thinking of announcers who do a huge event every single year, so not the Super Bowl, where because you have to trade it off with other networks. Right. It's Nance doing the Final Four. Nance doing the Masters and then, you know, maybe Joe Buck until this last year doing the World Series. Mm. Somebody, at least at the network level, who's coming back every single time to do something. It doesn't exist. It probably will never exist in the same way again, because you'd have to start at a really young age <laughs> like Nance and Buck did. And then you'd have to be really, really good at what you do. And then you'd have to have the network support so that nobody ever looks at you. Hey, wait, wait, we'll get the other guy in here to do a couple of final fours. Um, I don't think we're, I don't think we'll ever see that in exactly the same way. And then of course, you know, now that the world is changing and TV's turning into streaming, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I think that's probably a goodbye to, to that, at least until he decides to, you know, end his own journey, as you say, at the masters. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's kind of wild. And even when Ian Eagle was on the show, he was talking about when he got hired, he was 30 and his bosses were like, make sure you wear your glasses so that you look older. I just try to think about in this current media landscape, if you had a big event like the Final Four or the Masters or whatever it may be, the idea of hiring a 30 year old my age, someone like the idea of hiring me or someone my age to go and have the responsibility of those big time events um, it seems like it's something that would not even be in the realm of possibility. So that's why every single time, obviously, you know, those guys get hired at that age, but every single time you hear it, you're like, wow, that 
that just doesn't even seem possible today because the way that the 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 fans would react and and, and just kind of how the broadcasting landscape really is because it's all veterans at this point, right? I mean, it just seems foreign. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say a little bit like Kevin Burkhart, you know, on Fox this year being somebody that if you just held up his picture, people would be like, well, who's that again? Or right. Joe Davis doing the World Series. But even Burkhart's like late 40s, you know, like it's it's not that young. Mm-hmm. By the way, I felt Nance was like using a few more puns this year during the Elite Eight and the Sweet 16. I was like, is he getting us ready for Iron Eagle? Is he getting us ready for the puntastic experience that an Eagle Final Four will be right. in the coming years and decades? Eh, felt a little bit like it. A little bit of like a breadcrumbs, you know, for for what's ahead. I like that. I <laughs> An mean, Easter egg. Yeah, yeah I, I like that. And I think that's like a nice tip of the cap. And it, Nance feels like a guy that would do something like that, too, because, you know, like you said, he had this, such a reverence for Musburger before him. It almost feels like... Um, like in the NBA, you always hear these like great players talk about you almost have to pass the baton down to the next generation. And that's always been kind of a knock on Michael Jordan. People said that he never was willing to to pass that baton, so to speak. So it is nice that Jim Nance, who is such a a juggernaut in the space, seemingly feels like he's and even the way that Ian talked about it, it feels like he's trying to pass that baton and, and keep the show going in the right way, which is nice to see. Yes, because in my experience, announcers are Michael Jordan. <laughs> right. They don't want to. They don't want to go. There's no happy baton passing. I mean, how many, how many of these jobs changing over that you remember has ever been for happy reasons? Right. It's usually it's- I got a better offer. I got fired. Mm-hmm. Uh, the network decided they wanted somebody else in there, and I did everything I could to keep my job. This is the rare. I'm walking away on my own power. We've got the internal candidate picked out. Everybody likes the internal candidate because Ian Eagles, you know, favorability rating within at least our part of the business is great. 99.8%. Yeah, people love Ian Eagle. And he came on the show and he, Kyle was one over immediately. Kyle's like, Ian Eagle's the coolest guy ever, you know? So that was great. very funny. He's got a very different sensibility mm-hmm. than the guy he's replacing. Um, he's also, you know, I'm, I was really happy for him too, because Ian's in his fifties. You know, he's been waiting a long time for this. He's the number two guy in the NFL behind Nance. He's been, you know, tied for number two at the NCAA tournament. He's been number two on the NBA. Uh, you know, when Kevin Harlan got the Eastern Conference Finals last year, I can't remember Western or Eastern, I was like, uh-oh. Because when's Ian going to get his number one gig? That's a mm-hmm. big deal in broadcasting. You know, number two is a great job. Number one is a great job. Mm-hmm. And he got it. And he got it before it was too late to get it. So, yeah. and, and now he's I got, you know, I, I think the other cool part too is like, you know, I was talking about the younger broadcasters. I mean, Noah Eagle, his son, you know, has done some of the cool broadcasts for Nickelodeon, right? For the NFL and is already in that space. So that that's the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, Brian Curtis. Obviously all this Nan stuff is amazing and it, and it was great to kind of be a part of his final run, but I'm having a bit of an existential crisis as I forecast the future. Uh, of of commentating, right? You know, okay. I, I get in my own head about it and I look at guys like Al Michaels, who is a familiar face, but I, I see that he's now, you know, on Thursday night football and he's calling games with Kirk Herbstreet, right? That It's like, I, I get worried about what the future looks like and are we going to lose th- this familiarity or, or this connection to the sport in any way? So like, 
what does the future broadcast booth look like in your opinion? Not not specifically names or people, but just like how how does it change? Because I know we've done like the Manning cast, right? We've we've done like alternative casts, but what does the the proper broadcast booth look like? Because I'm a sucker for that, you know, as a journalism guy myself. So I just I, I worry about what that looks like in the future. Well, first of all, congratulations on your very first midlife crisis. <laughs> right. You seem to be weathering it well. I'm doing my best. Um, it's going to be really different because, first of all, we don't have the old network model anymore or even the old ESPN model, as big mm-hmm. as ESPN used to be, where everyone, at least everyone in air quotes, is watching this thing. So these announcers seem so big because of the media universe that they were a part of. Then you mentioned the Manning cast thing, the idea that it's not just your call the game, but we're going to go find somebody else to call the game. And even if that's relatively small, you're not the person doing it anymore. You know, that was, I mean, that was just think about what sports was like one network had the rights and one announcer got to call the game. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that is what we call a monopoly on people's attention. (laughs) And that's never going to be the same way again, you know, And, and even just like people just glancing at their phones and just not paying attention to what you're saying in the same way. Mm. So I think the future will still be really good in terms of quality. You know, like I said, when I when you're watching the tournament and you're here in Harlan, you're here in Eagles, like these, these people are awesome at calling basketball. They're really, really good. But I just think everything will feel a little different and a little bit smaller. Mm. Not because of, again, not because the announcer is not as good, but just because of the way the world's changed. Yeah. And I think, you know, that was one of the terms that I, uh, I always loved in my first iteration with the ringer when, you know, the Sean Finnessy and, and guys would talk about the monoculture, Chris Ryan, right? There, yeah. there is a lack of monoculture, even in sports now, which it used to be. We all watched the masters and we all heard Jim Nance call it. And we all saw Tiger Woods make that putt, or we saw, you know, Phil Mickelson hit that shot and we all talked about it and we all saw it and we all witnessed it. And now, you know, even with the Masters, right, you got like Masters.com and now guys are watching their featured group and, and they're not watching the same broadcast. That we're, everything is splintered. So it's a lot harder to have the same conversation. And that's everywhere. But I think totally. I'm just having a hard time accepting it in sports. You know, that's it might be on me, Brian Curtis. Maybe well, I, it might be. And sports is the closest thing we have left to the monoculture. It's not it's not the Academy Awards anymore. It's not, you know, sports and I guess elections. I mean, that's the one time where everybody comes together. It's like we are watching the thing. Yeah. Um, and even if it's a slightly diminished NCAA tournament final four in terms of ratings, it's still a big, big audience, you know, in television land. Yeah. So yeah, we 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 got to keep the one monoculture. That's we gotta we gotta make sure there's at least one left. Please, sports, please make it happen. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. I did see some monoculture tendencies and it wasn't with the men's final four. It was actually with the women's final four. Yes. And I wanted to ask you about this because 
I thought this was a fascinating media response and, and just like a, a great conversation, you know, and, and sometimes not a great, so not so great conversation, right? With the, the volatility that was going back and forth between different culture groups and things like that. But just in general, how fascinating was it for you to be in the middle of March Madness? And I'll, you know, I cover college basketball, the men's side, obviously the majority of the time, but the women's side kind of won the, the PR war this year. I mean, they were the talk of the town. It was leading sports center. It was leading every sports show. How insane was that to watch and witness this year? Is a better Final Four. I mean, is that fair to say? I yeah, mean, we, sure. I mean, I was texting somebody about this the other day, and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to remember from the men's tournament this year. And again, I say this as a sad Texas fan, but so <laughs> so you know, calculate that as as you must. But I will remember that Iowa South Carolina game forever. Mm. And that was that was awesome, and the final two. I mean, it's just like it was like that was unbelievably compelling television. Right. And then you mentioned you have this weird and often kind of bad bonfire happening on social media at the same time. But it was it was amazing. Like it was it was awesome basketball to watch. Yeah. If you didn't have a Twitter account and you just watched the women's final four and you specifically watched the South Carolina game. I mean, that South Carolina team with the Leah Boston, Dawn Staley is such a figure in basketball. She's such a known entity. She's, you know, you're talking about Gino Ariema, but I mean, she is the current Gino Ariema, right? I mean, she's the current, you know, Pat, right? I mean, she's Pat Sullivan. She, she's right there at the top of the mountain. So to see her team that was undefeated, having that pressure, it almost felt like miracle on ice a little bit, right? And then you have this Iowa team that, you know, they're dancing a high school musical before the game. Uh, they have this singular star, you know, in, in Caitlin Clark, who everyone's saying, you know, last year she didn't live up to the hype and all this sort of stuff. So it was the very much like this great, story, right? Which kind of goes back to the the Jim Nance part of this conversation, right? The, the women's game, somehow they formed a better story to tell and sell to the people and we ate it up and, and it was great basketball on the back end of it, right? Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's what we want where it's like, this is, these are the best players in college basketball duking it out in the final four and playing at the absolute height of their game. Right. You know, like, what what more do you want? That, that, <laughs> like, that's all. Like, that's what this, we all want. This rules, <laughs> and it's, it's really it was really really cool. Like I said, that's what I will probably remember from this year. Yeah, I think uh, if I had to do it, if I had to do it over, if I was like a big media exec, I would have sent Jim Nance to the women's championship game. Oh I, I would have made an executive decision, say send him there, let it let him go on, let him go for one more, uh, let him have back to back games. Let, let's see what happens. Um, a couple more Nance notes uh, that I wanted to throw you away that I thought were pretty interesting because I saw a lot of people after Houston left, they were like, there's no more Nance connections. There's no more you know, way to weave that story. The first game that Jim Nance called with Bill Raftery was a Miami basketball game. Did you know this? I did not know that. So I, I, I looked that up and, and uh, I thought that was pretty fascinating that like, you know, Miami, which is, you know, they don't have much basketball history. We know them as the you already know football dynasty, not as this basketball juggernaut, but obviously what Larinaga has done, that was that was like a fascinating wrinkle that Raftery, you know, his first time with Jim Nance was a Miami basketball game and then they get to call a final four game. So, so I wanted to point that out and, and say, well, and get your thoughts also on Raftery. Like how much more, how much more time do we have with Raftery too? I mean, I feel like that's the other part of this thing where I, why I'm having an existential crisis, right? It's like every single time I think about it, I'm like, no, this is too much. It's weighing too heavily on me. <laughs> Raft and Eagle go very well together just in terms of humor, in terms of sensibility. So I think we've probably got some more left. I 
personally, if I'm being the king of broadcasting, want to reevaluate the whole, do we need three announcers to call the final four <laughs> kind of thing? Because mm. Raft and Hill do this really irritating thing where Raft will make a point and he'll be like, I completely agree or I agree during the games. Mm. Like, thank you for agreeing. I don't know. I need to know that. Maybe we just, maybe we just lay out and, and let, <laughs> let the point be made. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the three-man booth. So I wonder if they'll sort of rethink that. Yeah, like reshape the the booth a little bit. I also thought you mentioned like that little dynamic. There was a, a dynamic in the last championship game when Jim Nance opened the broadcast, right? He brings everyone in. He does the hello, friends, you know, welcome to Houston, the whole thing. Uh, Grant Hill at one point, as they're talking about the keys to the game, Grant Hill brings up the, the spotlight. He calls Jim Nance the GOAT. He kind of set up this moment and, and like, you know, felt like Nance was like, you know, ready to accept that moment. But uh, Raph, Raph was already ready to jump on what he was going to say. So Raph was like, this is the biggest spotlight for these players and their families. You know what I mean? So he like, it, it kind of like ruined the moment. I, I felt like Nance never really got his moment. Like they didn't even show him on camera. Um, at the end of the game, yeah. yeah. What, what what did you think about that? Because I, I found that a little maybe maybe he decided that, but I felt like we needed a little bit more um of him to kind of like at least have the spotlight for a little bit, you know? Yeah, and then Raf sort of came in there at the end when he was doing his sign off, and it was like, no, 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 Jim, Jim has like a couple things he needs to say yeah, right yeah, here. Jim's got three more points to hit. <laughs> yeah, right. So no, 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 you can you can just lay out right here. We we had the we've already had the flowers given out. It was um. Yeah, I don't. It's funny. I think those broadcast farewells are just never. They're never as good as somebody calling a game at their height, mm. because, you know, what's cool about sports broadcasting is it feels so organic in the moment when you really hit it. You know, when you hit when you hit a big shot and and you get just the right call underneath it. I remember one of the early Hill ones. Was it Villanova? I'm trying to remember what what title that was. The the winning three balls in the air. Mm -hmm. And Grant Hill's talking, and it's like, dude, we can just we can just leave this, you know, let's leave this one to fate. Let's let this one breathe right here. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> You're all good. You've done your job. <laughs> you know, let's. So I don't know. It always feels a little, that's a little stagey and inelegant to me, even at its best. Yeah. Speaking of like at their best, one call in the tournament that I did want to ask you about. Speaking of breathing and letting the moment happen, when Furman hit the shot against Virginia, the, the Kihei Clark throws it down the court. Uh, it was like a, it was like one of those like what is what is going on type passes. But he's obviously just trying to like throw it, and he didn't see a defender and thought that he'd run the clock out. You know that's besides the point. But it leads to you know the Paladins hit the three to take the lead. Um, Harlan's on the call, and, and they had video, and Harlan's got his hands like you know he he's let. Van Gundy, you know, and these guys know, like, I think it was Dan Bonner was with him. He's like telling Bonner and Van Gundy, like, let, let the moment breathe, let the fans soak this in. Like, I, I thought that was a cool moment to kind of show the, yes. the technical aspect of calling these games, right? Did, did, what were your thoughts on that? Yep. Lay out, get out of the way. Right. It's the biggest thing. I'm going to remind if my analysts don't know this or, or forgotten this lesson, I'm going to remind them physically. We're all good here. But you see, Harlan came out after that and said that he didn't love that the video was shared because he thought people should not necessarily see how the sausage is made with announcing. Yeah. And I thought that was so interesting. Harlan was such a big voice and seems like the least shy man, you know, when he is broadcasting a basketball game in the whole world was like, I don't know if people needed to see me do that. Yeah. I, I think the call was fine on its own. I thought that was so such an interesting little wrinkle.
I do too. And I think it's kind of like a, a traditional outlook from him where it's like, uh, it would be like if we saw a bunch of magicians, right? And then we we filmed them backstage and they're like putting the rabbits in the hat. You know what I mean? It felt like, <laughs> it felt like one of those things where I, I understood what he was talking about. But what's even more um, like kind of funny with shows like the quirkiness, right, of this business was that, you know, he got, a lot of people were praising him for this, right? That like, it wasn't like this came out and people were like, oh, this is like, he shouldn't have done that or whatever. People were like, wow, what an amazing moment. And even then he was like, I don't want you to see how I make my sausage. (laughs) Even if it it is impressive, I don't want you to see it. Yeah. People love those things, those little calls. And it's funny because if you're an announcer, you're not self-conscious of it at all. It's it's enough going on, especially in a frantic final shot like that, where you're just like, I just want to get player's name right i want to call the shot correctly especially in college basketball because you're like look at right. these guys who are these guys again right and, sure and guys, guys are from all over the world now you got guys from molly right i mean you got all this different phonetic spelling and uh that that was another nance note i, I wanted to bring up with you I, I was reading a story about him uh at the final four he took grant hill to his house when they first started working together and i guess this was his house in pebble beach right he, he has the 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 par three hole where you know people go and hit their golf shots you know lombardi's told me all about it they used to be neighbors right i, I learned all about nance's lifestyle but one thing he did with grand hill was he had like his eighth game and they played oklahoma and he had his sheet that he had made for the game like his call sheet his you know, board, where he had, yeah. yeah right his board where he had like the phonetic spelling and you know guys hometowns and like one note on each guy um has he ever talked to you about that and and how much of that is a is a dying art too? Because I'm I'm not really sure there are many current broadcasters that have or they're gonna have like call sheets or their you know, their boards from 30 years ago to show their current, you know, color analysts. That's pretty crazy. That's always an interesting one because some guys are very nostalgic about those things. And I've been in at least one broadcaster's home where it's framed from a big call, like their right. their call, their call sheet. Um, and some of them are just like, throw this thing in the garbage. <laughs> Game's over. Got to call Game's another over. one. That's like Gus Johnson. Gus Johnson's like, he, he's got the, the memory. Like he's like memory done, like game over on to the next game. You know, it's uh-huh. like a, there's no, there's no rear view mirror with Gus Johnson, which is like the, you know, everyone does it differently. I always find that fascinating. Yeah. I always think about that when I throw my own notebooks away with the key difference that no one would ever want to see these again when I finish the story. So <laughs> I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I, uh, I wanted to, this is Nance's last call. I forgot to bring this up and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Uh, he said the Huskies have their dreams come true again. It was the dreamers theme throughout the, uh, the entire run in the final four. Um, you know, and then of course he said, everybody has a dream. Everybody has a story to tell. Um, how much do we buy into the dreamers theme and, and what do we think about that last call? I, I felt like we could have taken more punch again. I, I wanted more. I, I just felt, I felt like I want more time and maybe that's the point, right? Maybe you want to leave us wanting more. Yeah. That's an interesting one. It's funny. I talked to him last year about this at the PGA because we were talking about, you know, he often has, especially with a golf tournament, mm. the last call ready to go loaded up in the machine when the golfer puts in on 18 and wins the tournament that gets ready. And he said something like, he's like, I guarantee that no, nobody who is writing about this event, no reporter has not worked out some lines before the event ends. You do not wait until the event ends to them from the top of your head, write your entire gamer or your entire story from an event. So of course I am thinking about what I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. at the end of these things so what's interesting about that one is i bet that was thought out in advance yeah i bet he had that 
Uh, and of course, that probably does that work with San Diego State if they'd won the final? Maybe, right? You know, I yeah. Mean, maybe the Aztecs have their dreams come true. It seems like it, you could you could just slot that right in, right? Yeah, I mean, maybe would maybe that's maybe it because it was it wasn't San Diego State. Maybe he would have gone harder with that because it would have been seemed so improbable and seemed so like, oh wow, <laughs> just won the NCAA tournament that you needed to go a little more specific. I don't know. Yeah, I uh, I thought the other big thing that he did, or like the other like great Nance moment in this game, like if, if we, I try to think about this, like uh, the way that we do with players, where like that's a highlight in the game. The highlight for me in this game with Jim Nance was the score is fifty three forty one, and he shouted out the twenty eleven. That was the final score of the twenty eleven game, and he did it live. And uh, Rafter was like, "That's why he's the best in the biz. <laughs> the best in the biz." Yeah, right. I thought that was that was like the that was my Jim Nance highlight moment right there. That uh, is so funny. Yeah, it was it was good. It was good. I uh, I thought that was the best. Um, Brian Curtis, I think I think we covered all of this. Um, I, I appreciate you jumping on and doing this. One last thing before I let you go, you and I, you, you're obviously a UT Austin guy, Texas through and through. Uh, again, sorry about the Elite Eight run. I thought that game was right there <laughs> for the taking, but we're also Mac Brown guys. Um, oh. you've lived through Mac Brown. I am living through Mac Brown for the second time. Um, what, what have you seen from Mac Brown from a distance? Cause he, he might have the number one pick future number one pick in Drake may. Are, are you watching? Are you tuning in? Can I rely on you? Because I used to pull for Texas back in the day, uh, when they had Mac Brown, can, can I have you on our side once, once we get to the fall? And that was much more generous of you than me rooting for Mac Brown now. <laughs> leaving North Carolina for Texas. By the way, that happened my junior year, right before my junior year of college. And I remember when he got hired and I was at some like, I don't know, some meeting. I can't remember what it was. Some scholarship thing or something. It was like a full auditorium. And it was just like a very general, normal meeting. And all of a sudden it was like, we have a special guest. And he came out from behind a curtain. And it was like the Wizard of Oz had walked out. I was like, holy shit, it's Mac Brown. This is awesome. This absolutely rules. And then, of course, Ricky Williams won the Heisman that fall. And everything, yeah. Brian's football watching college career turned out way better than it would have been uh, if John McAvick had stuck around. Love the guy. I mean, I just, I feel, I feel he was amazing. And I feel he was like the perfect guy for Austin and Chapel Hill, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it, right. there's a certain he, personality he, he, that works. He just in thrives both. in that. Those they're like perfect college cities or towns for Mac Brown to be the man, and he knows how to speak the language. You know what I mean? He knows how to like everyone in the city loves Mac Brown. Like even if we lose in six overtimes and miss two kicks to Virginia Tech, everyone's like, "Ah, oh, I still love Mac." You know, <laughs> just kind of he's just that kind of guy. Totally, he's like that. We're talking about Jim Nance being you know a figure of a different age. Like he's a figure of a different age of coaching, right? You know, he's not the offensive coordinator guy who's got his, you know, Nike suit on and the visor and all that stuff. Like he just looks and acts like a coach from the Bobby Bowden age of coaching where I'm the head coach, you know, I'm making some decisions. I got some responsibilities, but I'm not, I'm not that guy, you know, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the X's and O's kind of prototype we're so used to the now. CEO, you know what I mean? And he's just yeah. empowering and he loves the kids. And uh, he's like, I just want to make these dreams possible. And, and I, this is a 40 year decision, not a four year decision. You know, all, all, all those talking points that are like family said. atmosphere. It's taking me back. This I know. Is, it, this it is the language good. of my, my youth. Oh my God. <laughs> it's funny that it still works. Uh, and I'm happy that it still works because uh, Mac Brown, Mac Brown and five stars go together like peanut butter and jelly. You know what I mean? That's, that's what he 
does. It doesn't always work out with the five stars, but they always come to town when Mac Brown's around. Um, he is Brian Curtis. He is the editor in chief of The Ringer. Thank you so much for coming on One Shining Podcast and sharing your wisdom. Really enjoyed it. And uh, let's do it again soon. Thank you for being my friend, Dave Frazier. <laughs> you got it, man. All right, there you have it, Brian Curtis. He's the best. I, uh, I, I, Kyle, that was for you. I mean, that that was for that warmed my heart just to talk to Brian Curtis. But I, I could see that you were excited about that. We needed that for the show. Yeah, it's my favorite, and, and also it, it's nice uh, that you could keep him entertained because you know he's like a he's like a big brain guy. You know, I didn't know if you were gonna we were gonna be too slow for him, but you really pulled it off. I was really proud of you for that one. Yeah, I did my best. I, I came in. I, I rewatched the broadcast with Jim Nance. I didn't even get into the weeds. I, I, yeah, I didn't even get in the weeds with him because I, I assumed that I would have to, but we didn't. We just, we had a nice conversation. And anytime I can talk about Mac Brown at the end, I'm, I'm fired up. Uh, yeah, so that was, that was great. Brian Curtis is the best. If you don't listen to the press box, you're really missing out. Um, I even listened to the press box when I didn't work at the rinker, you know, and when I wasn't being a company man, I was like, I'm still checking in. And even on LinkedIn, Kyle, this is how weird it is. Like Brian Curtis is like old media. So he posts all of his press boxes. On oh, LinkedIn, yeah, I love it. And I, and I, and I'm liking every one of them. You know, if you go back and you look at Brian Curtis's post on LinkedIn, I'm all over it. And I'm like, great show, Brian. You're that dude. Great point. Will AI take my job in media? I don't know. Tell me about but it. I'm going to listen and figure it out, you know? Um, and, and I love the catchphrase. I think that's right. You know, I think that's right. Um, <laughs> great stuff. We love Brian Curtis. All right. A uh, couple more things before we get out of here. A couple shout outs quickly. Shout out to the Wooden Award, um, which is something that I have a vote for, which is the best player in college basketball, men's and women's. Um, so the, the ceremony is this Friday. I am going to the ceremony, Kyle. I'm going to be there. Boots on the ground. Uh, appreciate the invite from the, from the powers that be. Um, Excited to see that in person. I assume Zach Eadie is going to win. It might have already been announced. I think it may have been. Zach Eadie will probably win. Caitlin Clark. Um, uh, yeah, so it had to have been announced. I saw Caitlin Clark won, so she'll be in the building. Uh, superstar Caitlin Clark. So that'll be fun. Um, and it's nice to, you know, get, get the little Big J, you know, session in. Let people know I'm out here. Got to vote, you know. I, I actually voted way too early, by the way. I, I feel like an idiot. I voted like mid-January because I was like, I've seen enough. I hadn't seen enough. <laughs> and that was the last vote you get. <laughs> They're like, look, look at this idiot voting in January. <laughs> I know. I jumped the gun. I uh, I don't know why I did that, but I, I just felt like there was nothing more that could happen. I was I was defeated on the season. Um, but congratulations to Zach Eadie. So is this thing like a dinner, it. by the way? Like, uh, you know, you floated the possibility, but you just kind of told everyone you're going. I'm, I'm assuming they said they had uh, only one room on the headcount. I I had I asked I emailed back for I was like can my producer go and then I haven't heard anything back and then now now I'm like uh, now I'm like did I overstep my bounds <laughs> am you know I not allowed I mean? to like, go anymore <laughs> right I'm like am I, did I lose my spot by asking how far away is it where if you just show up like it's, the stakes that is it like an hour and a half drive <laughs> it was downtown I think it's at the L A Athletic Club downtown so okay. it's actually near Spotify so it's near the office maybe we do like a oh just happened to run into you type situation you just you're just outside I'm like I just ran into my I'm down for whatever find a back door let me know where you're at just prop it open right. I mean, I don't want to be there by myself. That's for sure. You know, that's what uh, my, my girlfriend was asking me. She was like, you're going to go by yourself like you're Steven Glansberg. You know, you're going to eat by yourself. And I'm like, I'm hoping that I get there and I make some friends. Right. I mean, or at least like see some familiar faces or, you know, some of the other Jays that are there. I mean, you know, I don't I don't know who would be there, but um, I don't know. I'm I'm now I'm in my head about Sorry, it. Sorry, man. I didn't mean to do this. I'll make the trip if you want to. Uh, <laughs> if you want to just I, I, maybe it. maybe you come with me, and I just assume. Maybe, maybe I just start working in my life as an assumed. I have a plus one. You know what I mean? <laughs> maybe I'm at that. Sometimes it really works out for those guys who just don't care about anything, and it's like, how's that guy? 
How's that guy doing awesome right now? So maybe that's it's kind of like P. Diddy, though. Like Diddy would just go everywhere with like 12 people and no one like just even assume. the Met Gala. <laughs> yeah. Like the Met Gala got really mad at him because they're like, you you literally get a plus one. And he's like, yeah, plus one, two, 12. I got 12. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> 12, 12 months. And I'm and I'm two hours late. Uh, but also see you guys inside. Um, I don't know. I think uh, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll devise a plan. We'll try to get in there. We'll infiltrate it. And then we'll report back on the podcast. Um, speaking of the podcast. This is our last pod um, until the not next Tuesday, but the next Tuesday. We're going to take the week off again. This is the off season of college basketball. You deserve a break. You have the Bill Simmons podcast. You have Ryan Rosillo's podcast. You have to get yourself prepared for life. There, Do a Fanduel TV the fr- show. Yeah, you're not going to be off. We're just not doing this pod. We're just not doing the pod. And uh, that's another shout out. Shout out to, to Fanduel TV. The name of the show is Through the Ringer. Um, if you want to DVR it, it came on first episode, 9 a.m. Eastern time today on Fanduel TV. It's going to be on the Spotify app as well, uh, which I just found out about, which is really cool. So you can watch it on the Spotify app. But um, yeah, we had a great show. Had Kevin O'Connor and Waz on. We talked about, uh, you know, the biggest stories in the NBA. Then I had Nora Princiati come on. We talked about, um, you know, NFL free agency, Aaron Rodgers. I'm trying to, you know, will Tom Brady back into the NFL. Yeah, you are. <laughs> I love Tom Brady. I, I, I not not Patriot Tom Brady, but like, all right, divorced dad Tom Brady, divorced dad Tom Brady slash drunk Super Bowl Tom Brady is like an all time. Pretty likable, right? He, well, he gave me major Michael Jordan vibes. And, like, I'm a sucker when you give me Michael Jordan vibes. Like, Tiger Woods, you know, like, you have my heart forever. I'm like, Tom never gave me that until he did, you know. And unfortunately for you, Kyle, he had to leave Belichick to I get know. those vibes because Belichick was Belichick was trying to Popovich him, you know what I mean, instead of Phil Jackson him. He, he needed to, to help shepherd the ego, not deflate the ego, not to make a deflate gate joke. But, I mean, that's, that's what he was doing. He was deflating the ego. And I'm happy that Tom's free. Me too. Um, he deserves it. And Josh McDaniels. Hey, guess who else is the uh, the offensive coordinator of the Raiders? Yeah. Our boy Lombardi. Right. Um, you know what I mean? So, like, if you want to talk about, like, some collusion and some uh, Patriots mafioso, it's happening and it's happening with the Raiders. So, um, yeah, but I got to talk about all that with uh, Nora, which was fun. Um, and then we're back on Tuesday. We're going to be talking about NBA stuff again. Uh, we're figuring out what the show looks like formatting wise. Um, but it's a lot of fun. And when I, you know, when Bill called me and was like, do you want to do this? This was his top priority, to be honest. You know, I mean, he wanted to, to like do you and your stupid team. friend Kyle. Have I played eight on? Yeah, he was like, you guys can do your stupid shit. little podcast if you want to. But <laughs> you're going to have to work on this TV show and uh, and be a host and talk about other sports, which um, I love college basketball to death. You know, I, obviously, that's what this show is about centrally. But I love other sports as well. I love talking about them. I love talking to, to people that love the games that we all watch. And, uh, you know, that, that we have a lot of those at the ringer. So it's going to be a fun show. It's every Tuesday, every Thursday. You're working on it. Hopefully, we can like do some bits and things with each other. We're we're figuring it yeah, all we'll out. We'll see if I can sneak on the big screen. Who knows? You got to sneak on the big screen. We need it. Uh, I need it. I need I need characters in the world. Uh, we got great producers and people working on it. That uh, you know, like Danny Corrales, who's working on it, Shout was out. one of the first people I met um, when I came out to L.A. You know, people don't tell you this in the real world. Like when you come to the real world, you there aren't people your age that you work with, you know? So you didn't really, I didn't have friends in Los, I didn't know anyone in Los Angeles. So I'm just like, I'm just living in a Craigslist apartment and uh, walking to LA live every day. And Danny Corrales and Joe Fuentes, shout out Joe Fuentes. They were like the two people that were like, Hey, 
you know, you want to get a drink after this? You know, what, you know, where are you from? What do you do? Treating me like a normal human being, even though I was just an intern. So it's funny to be working with Danny again. He's the man. He's great. Um, Connor Nevins, who's helping us with the show, book the show. He was at Grantland when I was there in an intern. He was working at ESPN. He was like weirdly at a desk that was in Grantland, but not in Grantland. He was like proximity wise. And I was like, do I say, hey, do I not say, hey, but now it's this like guy my we're team. working together. <laughs> yeah. Now we're all the same team. We're all rowing the same direction. Um, it, it's a great example of why you never, not Don't only be an asshole not burn just, <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. You just, you just always be nice to people because like things happen and they all, they all work itself out and it all comes back full circle. So, um, it's cool to be working with the, with the great group of people. I'm excited about the show. Again, we're going to take one week off of OSP. Um, appreciate Brian Curtis for coming on the show. It was a lot of fun. Going to have him back regularly if he, if he's willing to do it. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But uh, again, this has been One Shining Podcast. I'm Tate Frazier. He's producer Kyle. And uh, we will see you in two weeks. 